Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. In honor of the U.S. Open, we're going to look back on two of our favorite golf-related conversations from the past. In segment three, from January of 2008, my conversation with Mark Steinberg. He's the VP of golf for IMG, better known as the agent for Eldrick Tiger Woods, the most powerful athlete on the planet. Great conversation. If you want to know everything there is to know about the business side of Tiger, tune in to segment three, my interview with Mark Steinberg from IMG. In segment four from June of 2008, Jack Nicholas, the Golden Bear, the greatest golfer of all time, 18 career Grand Slams. He's the golfer by which all other golfers are measured. He's now one of the most successful course designers in the world, and he shared some of his business acumen with us during the conversation in June of 2008. That's coming up in today's show, segment four. A couple of other notes, visit my Sports Business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com, become our Facebook friend, or follow me via Twitter. Go to our blog at sportsbusinessradio.com and link to those pages. I'm joined in studio by Nathan Roach and our producer, Bobby Corser. Nathan, your cubbies. We thought they were going to the Ricketts family, but now the 30-day window of negotiation has closed your dream could come true if you want to get back in the ball game. It looks like it's open season for owning the Cubs. Yeah, I I've asked for a raise at work already, and uh, it has been approved. You need quite a raise. It, it would be about a nine hundred million dollar raise because yeah. I'm already making you know roughly about a million, about five hundred million. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, also our sweet success segment sponsored by Moose Tracks Ice Cream. It's going to focus on the NBA Finals and NHL Stanley Cup ratings and. Sweet success indeed for those. And then in our final segment, we're going to bring you up to date on how Major League Baseball attendance is tracking thus far during the season. We told you that Bud Selig, the commissioner, sent out a memo before the season started warning teams that attendance could be down because of a bad economy. We'll bring you the latest numbers. That's coming up in our final segment. But next, headlines. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center, passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. 
back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one. Well, it appears that the sale of the Chicago Cubs by the Tribune Company is going to take longer to complete as the exclusive negotiating window for Thomas Rickards has now closed. Nathan, it looked like the Rickards family was going to buy the Cubs. $900 million was the price tag. Back in January, we learned that he had an exclusive 30-day window to negotiate. Well, here we are in June. A deal isn't done, so now it opens it up to other people. And there's a gentleman named uh, Leo Hendry and then uh, another man named Mark Ute. They seem to be in line to maybe step in if the Ricketts family is not able to complete their purchase of the Cubs. So the bottom line is, is you know, we thought a year ago this thing was going to get done, and it's still not done yet. Yeah, I wish they'd throw another name in there, Mr. Mark Cuban, but I know that's out long gone. Yeah, it's unfortunate. I think a lot of people would love to see Cuban own it, but I don't think it's going to work out for credit reasons, and, and you know, he just doesn't have the, the cash uh, to put down. He would need to put more on, on credit. Speaking of the Cubs, our next headline, shocking news this week from the New York Times. Sammy Sosa, who joined Mark McGuire in 1998 in the celebrated pursuit of baseball's single-season home run record, he's among the players who tested positive for performance-enhancing drug in 2003, according to lawyers with knowledge of the drug testing results from that year. Now, remember, Nathan, they Major League Baseball did random drug tests in the year 2003, just as a, a study. Hey, let's just see who might be using drugs. There's 104 people on that list. The list was never supposed to be released confidential. Now we know two people on the list, A-Rod and Sosa. And you can guess who the other names are, and it's probably only a matter of time until those names come out. Oh, yeah. Sosa was not a surprise at all. It was about as surprising as Jose Canseco or Mark McGuire. I would say that I was actually a little bit more surprised about Alex Rodriguez being on that list than anybody else. The most surprising thing of all was Sosa in front of the congressional hearing forgetting how to speak English and saying he couldn't speak English and needed a, a translator. He spoke pretty good English all his other interviews leading up to that. Our next headline, the U.S. Open Golf Tournament taking place at Beth Page Black this week in New York. The weather has not cooperated. If I was ESPN and spending the money on production for the coverage of the first few days, I would not be happy at all, Nathan. Oh, not at all. And, I mean, we talk all the time on this show about ESPN is now becoming kind of the spot for almost all sporting events, and NBC is still kind of the leader in golf. So what if, you know, if is ESPN going to look at this down the road with future golf because they might not get enough coverage. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how the weekend turns out. We'll have lots of discussion on the U.S. Open on next week's show. Our final headline of the week, the NFL this week announced that it has extended its minority interviewing rule to include openings for GM jobs and equivalent front office positions. Under the new rule, any team seeking to hire a senior football operations official for its front office must interview at least one minority candidate. Commissioner Roger Goodell extended the Rooney rule following a recommendation from the NFL's Workplace Diversity Committee. I think this makes all the sense in the world. Oh, this is a no-brainer. This should have been done a long time ago. All right, it's time for our weekly segment where we look at something successful from the sports business industry. 
success. I have great news for you. How sweet it is. Right on, sweet sister. Time to highlight a winning move from the world of sports business. Oh, man, that's sweet. Sports Business Radio presents Sweet Success. That'd be sweet. Brought to you by Moose Tracks Ice Cream. To find Moose Tracks at a store near you, check out the store locator at moosetracks.com. The NBA Finals, the NHL Stanley Cup complete. TV ratings, very good. Let's start with the NBA. The final three games of the Lakers Magic NBA Finals ranked as the top-rated programs in adults 18 to 49 for the week of June 8th to the 14th, leading ABC to a victory in the demo for the week with a 2.7 average rating, this according to the Daily Variety. Now, Nielsen says the NBA Game 5 drew 14.2 million viewers. The series average was 14.3 million a game. Last year's average was 14.9. So, Nathan, a lot of people thought since it wasn't LeBron versus Kobe, the ratings might not be very good, but the ratings weren't down very much from last year's iconic matchup of Celtics-Lakers. Well, I, I'm surprised that uh, that they're down at all. I mean, I thought they had a lot of momentum going into the finals. I thought that uh, there was a big following for the Lakers all over the country. NBC Sports says Stanley Cup Finals gave heaven the most watched NHL game in 36 years. The Penguins championship clinching 2-1 to win over the Detroit Red Wings, Bobby's Red Wings, on NBC last Friday. Averaged 8 million viewers. The most viewed game since Game 6 of the 1973 Stanley Cup Finals between Montreal and Chicago. So, great news for the NHL. I know we rip on them all the time. But look, 8 million viewers... Still only about half of what the NBA got. Oh, I know. 14 million versus 8. But, you know, we were talking about 100,000 viewers like six months ago. And the great news for the NBA and for the NHL, Kobe Bryant, one of the most recognizable stars in the NBA, and Sidney Crosby, the face of hockey, both champions, both very recognizable and both recognizable to the casual fan. All right, coming up next, Mark Steinberg, the VP of golf for IMG better known as the agent for Tiger Woods. We're going to go inside the business of Tiger Woods next. That's coming up on Sports Business Radio. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. I've got a confession to make. I'm a sucker for good ice cream. There's nothing better than watching a sporting event while enjoying an ice cream cone, or better yet, fixing an ice cream sundae with my daughter. Lucky for me, I found an indulgent ice cream at an affordable price. Moose Tracks Ice Cream comes in a variety of flavors, including chocolate Moose Tracks, extreme Moose Tracks, mint Moose Tracks, and of course, original Moose Tracks, just to name a few. What's my favorite Moose Tracks ice cream flavor? It's chocolate Moose Tracks, which is chocolate ice cream with peanut butter cups and famous Moose Tracks fudge. For a chocoholic and peanut butter lover like me, it's heaven. What's your favorite Moose Tracks flavor? To find the Moose Tracks branded store nearest you, Check out the store locator at moosetracks.com. That's M-O-O-S-E-T-R-A-C-K-S dot com. Or find the Moose Tracks banner on our website at sportsbusinessradio.com. Moose Tracks Ice Cream, the official ice cream of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Mark Steinberg. He leads IMG's golf division. He's the agent for pro golfers Tiger Woods and Annika Sorenstam. Mark, Happy New Year, and thanks for joining me. Happy New Year, Brian. Glad to be back. 
So Tiger Woods continues his assault on the record books. He's within five wins of tying Jack Nicklaus's all-time record of 18 Grand Slam titles. He made nearly $80 million in prize money on the PGA Tour since he turned pro in 1996. He earns close to $100 million a year from endorsements. He even got a $10 million bonus for winning the inaugural FedEx Cup last year. Mark, the bar has been set so high for Tiger. If he doesn't win every time out, we're surprised. Talk to us about the makeup of Tiger Woods and how he's able to meet or surpass these expectations year after year. I think, uh, you know, Tiger has um, Tiger has an uncanny ability to stay in the present. So um, <clears throat> while he's, you know, certainly looking at uh, at Augusta and the Masters in, in April, uh, when he tees it up next week for those four days at the Buick Invitational, which will be his, his first tournament of the year, Tiger will um, Tiger will be solely focused on uh, on winning the Buick Invitational, uh, and he'll put all of his effort into that. Uh, most players have a very hard time staying in the present. Uh, you know, they they get off to a good start and they birdie three of the first four holes, and they're thinking 59. Tiger's just figuring out how he can make birdie on that uh, on that fifth hole. So, I think it it goes a long way to. Um, to uh, to kind of uh, the expectation that he sets for himself, uh, staying in the present, and um, you know as long as he competes at the highest level, as long as he does puts everything he can into every tournament that he plays, um, that's all he ever asks of himself. You started working with Tiger two years into his pro career in 1998. Tell us the story, if you would, about how you and Tiger connected. How did you become his agent? Um, you know, mostly pretty fortunate, right place at the right time. Uh, he was uh, looking for um, uh, an agent internally here at, at, at IMG, and um, you know, there was a few of us that were, uh, I guess, semi-logical uh, uh, people to, to to take over the account. And um, I really do think I was just uh, fortunate at the time, and probably had some time uh, uh, to to, uh, to to work on his account. And uh, so we just kind of did a three-month trial period, of, uh, and um, you know we're ten or eleven years into the trial period, so it's it's worked out well. And you obviously work with Annika Sorenstam as well. You run IMG's golf division. Tell us about some of your other duties. You oversee a, a lot of people as part of that division. Yeah, you know I'm fortunate that I, I represent two of the two of the icons of the game, and um, uh, they've they're they're wonderful clients. Uh, and they're uh, they're wonderful friends as well, and and I like to think that uh, that they've learned a lot from me because I know I've learned a lot from uh, from the two of them. And uh, um, I used to have uh, responsibility for representing a, a number of different uh, athletes, uh, golfers, basketball players uh, around the world. And when when uh, when the Tiger business hit and when Annika just exploded the way she did and, and uh, they gave me the opportunity to run the global golf division in IMG, I clearly had to cut back the, the day-to-day management of everybody except Tiger and Annika. So I'm, I'm responsible for, for overseeing all we do in golf, which is um, you know very sophisticated client business, uh, event business, uh, golf consulting business, a golf course management, golf course design. Um, Corporate outings and hospitality. It's a it's a it's a very robust business. Um, IMG has been the leader in the in the golf industry for 50 some years uh, since uh, uh, our former uh, owner and chairman Mark McCormick started it, and um, uh, it's a wonderful place. Yeah, people forget Mark McCormick and Arnold Palmer. I mean, they started IMG with a handshake. Really, that was the first agent athlete deal that I know of. Yeah, no, he was. I mean, you know, God rest his soul, Mark was. 
Mark was a uh, Mark. Mark wasn't just a pioneer; he was the pioneer right. in this industry. He he created what is sports represent, uh, representation today, and we all owe uh, an enormous uh, debt of gratitude to him uh, for that. And you know, it certainly started with that handshake agreement between Mr. Palmer and uh, and Mark, uh, and 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 not only did that. You know, transform the the player agent side of the business, but you, you just look at the whole sports marketing industry, and and you you know, I don't think it's fair to say that that Mark was solely responsible for that, but I would say he had a a very large hand in the 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 incredible incredible development of uh, of that side of our business. It's interesting to see where endorsements have gone. I mean, Arnold Palmer still making a lot of money. Then you look at someone like Michael Jordan, whose Air Jordan shoe is still the most successful basketball shoe that Nike sells. And obviously we've seen what Tiger has done for Nike's golf business. I want to talk a little bit about Tiger's endorsement deals. He's got deals with Nike, Buick, Gillette, Tag Heuer, EA Sports. He just signed a deal with Gatorade. We're going to see Gatorade Tiger coming out in March. When when, when can we expect to see uh, the rollout of ads for Gatorade Tiger? Uh, you'll probably see some, uh, uh, you know, first or second quarter uh, this year. Uh, this is uh, the Gatorade deal was exciting for us. It was the first ever, you know, true uh, pure licensing deal that we did. Gatorade had, had never had an athlete on their uh, on their bottle, and um, we went through some extensive negotiations with them. They are a fabulous company, um, and uh, we're just we're incredibly excited with what the future holds there. You'll see Tiger Gatorade coming out on shelves. Kind of end of February, beginning of March, and um, it's been uh, it's been an exciting run, really an exciting run. So, if I'm one of these companies that I just mentioned, I have a partnership deal with Tiger. How many days a year typically will I have access to him to shoot commercials, promote the brand? You know, as you said, he's a partner in the product, so um, I imagine he's out there at least a few days a year doing interviews and and taking pictures, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you know, we 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 create partnerships with these companies. We don't like to think that they're contractual relationships. So while contractually there's a day or two uh, for Tiger to commit to, to to each company to produce advertising and. Uh, promotion and point of sale, point of purchase. Uh, you know, there's there's also the intangible benefits of, you know, Tiger uh, being able to 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 say hello and entertain, you know, customers or vendors. Um, you know, inviting them to 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 Tiger's various uh, uh, foundation functions, whether it be the Target World Challenge or AT and T National up in DC, uh, or a you know a charity concert that we have. So we like to think that. That uh, when it comes to when it comes to you know our, our partners around the world, we like to think that we're in a position where we can over deliver for them. You know, I got to tell you, Tiger seems so genuine in his commercials. He's he's a really good actor, and the commercial I enjoyed last year the most was the Buick commercial where he's on the driving range and someone takes his bag and he tackles the guy who took his bag. I've heard from people in the industry, and I want you to clear clarify this or clear it up. Was that scripted? It was not scripted. It was uh it was uh it was one of the more uh, entertaining moments that uh that I can recall <laughs> uh with him. I mean it was it really was all spur of the moment and uh uh needless to say the um the actor that was stealing the bag was as surprised as anybody. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, he totally looked surprised. And, and then I, I was saying on our show, I bet you cringe when you see Tiger lunging out there. I mean, all you need him to do is tear a knee or something like that. And it's uh, it's curtains for his season on the on the golf course. I've learned long ago not to try to control Tiger. <laughs> yeah, that's a good because thing probably. He does what he wants. My guest is Mark Steinberg. He leads IMG's golf division. He's the agent for Tiger Woods and Annika Sorenstam. Uh, Mark, when I was researching for this interview, I came across a really funny story. In September 1987, Golf Digest introduced its first armchair architect contest, challenging readers to design a hole. First prize was a trip to Bermuda with real architects Pete Dye and Robert Trent Jones. There were 22,000 entrants into this contest. One of them was an 11-year-old Tiger Woods. You had to be 18 to enter the contest, so his father, Earl, submitted his entry. He didn't even make it past the first round. Lo and behold, now we've got Tiger Woods design. People are paying him millions of dollars to design their golf course. Talk about Tiger Woods design for a moment, if you would. Well, it's a little bit more sophisticated than when he was uh, yeah. sitting on his couch uh, drawing <laughs> his first hole in a crayon. But um, he's... Uh, He's, you know, we took uh, a number of years to, to, Tiger took a number of years to, to, to learn not just the business, but to learn what types of golf courses he liked. You know, we were, we had offers for him to get into the design business, you know, 10 years ago. And um, he always said, I'm just not ready. I want to, I want to travel the world more. I want to see more golf courses. I want to understand bunkering. I want to understand contour. I really want to understand, you know, what it is, not just, you know, that I like Pebble Beach because of this, uh, but I like it because of the intricacies. And so, um, lo and behold, a, a couple years ago, he had told me he was ready, and um, uh, I have uh, had been in discussions with uh, with a developer in Dubai, and um, uh, we finalized our, our first deal in uh, in Dubai and followed it up with uh, with our first U.S. project at the Cliffs in Carolina, and. Uh, uh, the business is going well. It's not. It's not a business where Tiger's going to have, you know, six, seven, eight courses under development in any one year at the outset. Uh, he wants to go slow. He wants to make sure he enjoys the business and likes the business. Uh, but to date, it's been uh, it's been an enjoyable process. Well, and it's something he can do when his golf days are over. And uh, you know, it's kind of leaving a legacy a little bit. You design a course, and uh, you know, people can see it for the next fifty, seventy-five years. That's got to be kind of cool. Absolutely, absolutely. It's, that's that's one of the exciting aspects of uh, of the design business. So obviously, Tiger's amazingly diverse golfer, pitch person extraordinaire, golf course designer. He's philanthropic. With all of that being said, is there anything out there right now that the two of you have your eye on that you say, you know, I'd like to do that, and we just haven't gotten around to doing that yet? Absolutely. <laughs> and that's as much as you're going to tell me, isn't it? I'll let you know next time we talk. <laughs> All right. Hope, hopefully it won't be too long. Mark, I appreciate you making time. Guests appearing during our Sports Sun segment, we treated to the gold standard of all steakhouses. Morton's the Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. For the Morton's nearest you, go online to mortons.com. Mark, thanks so much for making time for us. Best of luck this year, and hope to catch up with you again soon. Thanks, Brian. All the best. Thank you. You're yep. listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, 
Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime aged beef, fresh seafood, hand picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Jack Nicholas. He's the winner of a record 18 major championships. He's the CEO of the Nicholas Company and a goodwill ambassador for the game of golf. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. So i got to tell you, in doing my research for this interview, I was struck by what an amazingly busy schedule you keep. You just finished hosting the Memorial. You're the head of the Nicholas Companies. You travel to dozens of countries every year designing courses for Nicholas Design. And you somehow find time to spend quality time with your wife, your children, your 21 grandchildren. You seem to be working more now than you were when you were playing regularly. Where do you get all this energy? If I don't, if I don't keep the energy up, you know, you, they they put you away, <laughs> and uh, you know, sort of, or they, or they farm you out or something, Brian. I, I don't know. I've always had energy. I've always been sort of uh, one of those kids when I was growing up that I got up in the morning and I came in at night and my mom grabbed my ears, you know. Right. And uh, but I, that's I've always had to be doing something, and I, you know, people always say, well, gosh, you know, you, how do you do all this stuff? I said, well. You know, you got to remember, I was playing 25 weeks a year. I was traveling tournament golf and spending a week at a place. I don't do that anymore. I've got 25 free weeks now. Right. And uh, so I'm going to fill them. I, I enjoyed filling them up and working and doing things. And it's, uh, you know, most people work all their life to retire to play golf. I play golf all my life to retire to work. Right. And so, and so I kind of enjoy that. And I've got the grandkids are growing up. My, my oldest just graduated from high school last last week. And so... Uh, we're not. Uh, I'm, I'm watching them in high school athletics, and I'll watch some of them in college and in the future. And so, we're, uh, we're we're pretty active. It's an exciting time for you, I'm sure. You're an incredible goodwill ambassador for the game of golf. You remain close to the United States Golf Association. As an endorsee of the Royal Bank of Scotland, you've entered into a deal that puts the USGA and the RBS together in a business relationship. The four-year agreement with the USGA features a number of components that will be integrated across all USGA championships, including the U.S. Open and the U.S. Women's Open. So now RBS has ties to three of golf's four majors as the official patron sponsor of the British Open Championship and the PGA Championship. Can you explain this new partnership between the RBS and the UGA and what your role is going to be uh, going forward? Well, you know, the RBS has been involved with the British Open for over 100 years. Right, and they they part of what they they uh, have done. They've been a you know they were called where they were still are the Royal Bank of Scotland. They felt like Royal Bank of Scotland was a little bit restrictive uh, since they they became the uh, I think I think the third largest bank in Europe, and now they're the fourth largest bank in the world, or the sixth largest bank in the United States. And my role was to help them trans the transition from the Royal Bank of Scotland to RBS. And they used me as that vehicle. And so uh, through the advertising and promotion of, of 
my involvement with them, uh, you know, I think a lot of people realize that that RBS is a pretty significant uh, player in the United States today. Absolutely. And so, and part of that has been all through the game of golf. So, the natural relationship of being involved with the British Open, uh, they wanted to expand that to be involved with golf's best. So, they want to be involved with the USGA and the PGA and and, and their championships also. And they are. And you know, I'm sort of that vehicle to. Uh, bring them together from the game of golf. And uh, it's been a very nice relationship. It's been great for me, and and I'm sure it's been great for RBS, or they wouldn't continue to have me. Yeah, I'm sure. I love the commercials that they've done with you, too. I think those are great. You know, I look at what you've done and just what you've meant to the game of golf, not only when you played, but now you have Nicholas Design. It's an incredibly successful golf course design company. You've designed courses in 45 countries around the world. There's 300 Nicholas courses. Uh, You're designing 100 more. And between what you're doing with the USGA to promote the game of golf and these courses you're designing, what a legacy you're leaving for future golfers. Well, you know, it's a game that gave me so much, and it's a game that uh, I want to continue to be part of and continue to grow with it. Uh, One of the neat things about the things I'm doing is that, uh, you know, we're actually working in 29 new countries now as well as all the other countries we've been working in. Wow. And... You know, we go into these countries, and, and a lot of them were the first golf course in that country. That's got to be fun. And to have the op, the the opportunity to form the the and uh, and, can, and sort of uh, formulate the sh- the shape of what that game is going to be in that country, and its future is is kind of it kind of fun to go into into mostly Eastern Bloc now with those countries going into Russia, Poland, you know, uh, Bulgaria, Ukraine, all all the way down through. Uh, Romania and Czech Republic, so forth and so on. Uh, all those are all new places, and you know, to they all will, will grow up now on a pretty decent golf course, and and the young people that come from there will uh, be able to compete around the world and uh, make the game more of a global game. Continue to grow it, and uh, uh, that's kind of fun to be part of that. I've got to ask you a question as a designer. You're the greatest golfer who ever lived. So when you're designing a course. How do you put yourself in someone like my shoes? I'm a duffer. And when you're designing these holes, how do you think in terms of someone like me instead of Jack Nicholas, greatest golfer who ever played? Well, I think that you, uh, you know, I've done, uh, we've done over 300 golf courses. So I think when you start to look at it, you pretty well figure out that who's going to play it. And, you know, only 1.8% of your play is played from the back tees. Hmm. So you're really designing the golf course for 98.2% of the people. And so you really better be designing from the member seats because that's where your bread and butter comes from. And so you've got to figure out how do, they, how do the average golfer hit it, how do, how do the women hit it, how do juniors, how do beginners. You've got to try to figure out how that's going to work. And you just keep, keep working with it and try to play them around. I mean, some of the first golf courses I did were very difficult golf courses because they were done for tournament golf. Right. And, uh, you know, like Muirfield is, is a difficult golf course, Shoal Creek, Castle Pines, they're, they're all done for tournament golf. Well, then then all of a sudden I, I figured out, I said, you know, I'm really not designing this golf course for one week a year. I should be designing this golf course for 51 weeks a year. Right. And adapting it to a tournament. I think if I look back at Augusta, I think Augusta was at. Augusta's a wonderful golf course. It's a wonderful member's golf course. All they did was move the tees back and hide the pins, and they played the Masters. So that philosophy I've always thought has been pretty darn good. And, you know, it worked for the Masters and it was successful. Why not try to, try to take it forward? So I try to look at that kind of a, kind of a thing and when I'm designing. And I think it's... Uh, I think it's been successful. We we sometimes don't don't get it right every time, but a lot of times we do, and uh, 
I think we've got a lot of people that uh, have enjoyed our golf courses and enjoy uh, uh, playing them and and uh, and living there. So it's uh, uh, and it's, and it's been fun to be able to be part of it. I would imagine that people find you if someone wants to hire Jack Nicholas to design their course. How does that process take place? I mean, I see your website, and obviously you've got a pristine reputation, but. You know, these people in third-block countries, eastern-block countries, how do they find you and bring you in to design their courses? Well, they, they, they figure it out somehow. <laughs> they, they, get, they get to us. And, you know, most of the stuff comes into the office, although we do have we have an, we have an office in Moscow, and i got an office in hmm. Brussels. i got an office in uh, Seoul, an office in Hong Kong, Beijing, uh, 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 South Africa, uh, representatives in Argentina, I mean, I've got people in all parts of the world, and so you know, they, and and we're we're doing golf courses in all parts of the world. So people generally figure out that hey, Jack's doing a golf course in uh, in China. We ought to be able to figure out where is he doing China. We talk to those people. We talk to we're doing a golf course in Russia. How do we talk to those people over there if we want one in? In Bulgaria, you know, I mean, they they figure out how to get to us. Other otherwise, and our people are always uh, prospecting. And frankly, you know, the internet's been a great source of our business. Hmm. Uh, I would say that uh, ten years ago, we got oh maybe five percent of our leads off of the internet, and I'd say today we probably get sixty seventy percent of our leads off the internet. Wow, that's amazing! I would have never guessed that. I wouldn't have either, but it, it actually is a fact. That's great. My guest is Jack Nicholas. Mr. Nicholas, there's lots of talk, obviously, about Tiger Woods eventually breaking your record of 18 major championships. Tiger sits at 13 right now as we speak. A remarkable stat that very few people realize is that you finished second 19 times out of the 162 majors you played in. So if you won half of those, you'd have 28 major championships. I think what Tiger's doing is incredible, but, I mean, let's be realistic here. If you had 28 majors, we wouldn't talk about Tiger breaking your record at all. Who faced the stiffer competition, you or Tiger? For my well, for my vote, you did. Well, thank you. I, but first of all, I failed 19 times then. That's sort of the way I look at it, uh, Brian. I mean, I, I got I got beat or I failed 19 times where I, where I came close, and I, I won 18 times. So, uh, but but you know you, you're going to lose sometimes when you're when you're in contention and you're going and I think that the the, the competition that I had I think there it was very difficult I mean and the the reason I think it was difficult is because we had fewer really good players and but the real but the good players we had all learned how to win and they'd all won five six seven eight nine majors you know Arnold and Gary and uh, Trevino and Watson those guys all knew how to win and if I was if I slipped up they were ready to play. Uh, the problem today is that we have we have Tiger, and then we have so many other really really good players, but there's just not enough, they don't get enough exposure of winning to really uh, feel confident coming down the stretch that they're going to make it happen. So, I, I don't know really how to answer the question properly. Uh, you know, do, uh, there are probably more good players today, but yet uh, ours had had the experience to learn how to win. So it's just it's you know you you, you, you don't know really what is right. We hear the story about a young tiger taping a sheet with your stats on his bedroom wall and kind of being fixated on catching you someday. Who was the guy that you were maybe fixated on? Was it Arnold Palmer as you were growing up and you said, that's who I want to be or that's who I want to break all of his records? Well, Bobby Jones actually. was. I, I, Bobby Jones won the U.S. Open at Scioto in 1926. And I grew up at Scioto. I started playing golf course in 1950. And there were many golfers that, that they're members of that club that were there when Jones won, inclu- including my father. And uh, 
so I never heard anything other but Jones, 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 and I never really thought anything about breaking any records. It was never. We didn't have that kind of pressure. Tigers had it on from day one. But I mean, it wasn't until 1970 that I won my 10th major, and I walked in the press room, and Bob Green of the AP said, "Jack, that's." Ten majors you won now. Congratulations. You only got three more to tie Bobby Jones. I said, what? I mean, I'll be very honest with you, I had never counted him. I never even dreamed of it. Never even entered my mind. And I, I, mean, I never thought Bobby Jones' 13 majors was, was, was uh, you know, approachable. And then all of a sudden, I, I was three away from it. Then I actually focused on it. And uh, then when I focused on it, I got past it. And, uh, you know, I, I just played, uh, tried to win what I could after that, and uh, uh, but you pretty much, you know, once you pass something, you lose your drive to go on. Uh, and uh, uh, even though I wanted to play golf, I just didn't, uh, I, I didn't drive as hard as I did when I was younger. But uh, you know, I'm, my record is what it is. I certainly, I, I certainly wish, uh, I'm quite happy with what it is. Do I wish it was more? Sure. Now I do. Sure. But how did I know Bob? How did I know Tiger Woods was going to come along, or how did Bobby know, Jones know Jack Nicklaus was going to come along? You know, it it really isn't. It really isn't important. Uh, Tiger is a great player. He's uh, he's doing and dominating the game today. He's uh, he's a nice young man. He's uh, handles himself well. The game's in good hands. So. If he breaks my record, you know, more power to him. I just want to be the first one to shake his hand. And obviously nobody wants their records to be broken, but, you know, I think it brings more excitement into the game to have uh, have Tiger chasing my record. Obviously, it puts my name in the newspaper every day right beside his. So, sure. you know, it's not it's not all that bad for me either. So, uh, But it's uh, it's kind of exciting. It's kind of fun to watch him play. He's, just, he's a very, very talented young man and uh, uh, fun to watch. One of the things that's so different, obviously, today is compared to when you played the prize money. I mean, Tigers made $93 million on the tour. <laughs> you won 113 tournaments, and you earned a little bit less than $6 million in your entire career on the tour. Obviously, I would guess you're earning a lot more than that with Nicholas Design and your other endeavors now. But do you ever look back and just go, gosh, I played in the wrong era. I could be making a lot more money now with 113 victories. Well, I think Ben Hogan actually looked like he thought maybe he played in the wrong era. Yeah, no I kidding. His, his total, I think his total lifetime earnings were like 241000 Wow. So, I mean, if you really look at that, I mean, it's just times change. And, you know, I'm, what I look at is I think that the kids today are really blessed. They have the opportunity to play golf for a living. And we played golf and had to be successful so we could go make a living. You know, I mean, with outside things, you never made a living on a golf course when we played. Right. And today the kids can actually play play golf and, and, and don't have to do anything else. They can play golf and make a living. That's And I think that's neat. And we were the forerunners of that. We, uh, you know, the group in front of us, the the the, the, uh, the Hogans and the Nelsons and the Sneeds uh, were the forerunners of that. And then we came in and then we were the ones that started to get it to the next level. And then Tiger and his group were taking it to the next level. And I think it's, I think it's great for the game. Jack, Father's Day is next weekend. All four of your sons work for you, and you won your last major in 1986, the Masters, with your son Jack carrying your bag for you. That had to have been a wonderful thrill. Talk about the wonderful bond that you've built with your sons. You know, honestly, I see a lot of athletes who play, and they're so involved in their athletic endeavors that their relationship with their family suffers. And I've got to tip my hat to you because you seem like you're so close with your family, and I think that's just so admirable. Well, that's always been the most important thing in my life, Brian. I mean, uh, my wife and I grew up in the Midwest, in Ohio. We both have same same values. We both felt like we both came from close families, and we both felt like family was the most important thing. And, you know, I 
know, I, I probably could have won a lot more tournaments if I had, if I would have sort of been selfish enough to leave my family. But I just didn't want to do that. My family is what I wanted to be part of, and uh, my kids are all working with me. They're all doing things that are similar to what I do. They, they're all trying to handle their kids the way, uh, you know, I handle them, which makes me proud. Uh, you know, I've, I've got I've got a good group of kids, and uh, they. Uh, uh, and they're good citizens, and they and they do well. And I'm, and I think that's what my wife and I are most proud of. Right. I mean, it's just it's just such a wonderful trait and quality that you have. And think of all the the generations that you've affected. Last question for you. Obviously, you've played the game of golf all your life. Uh, you've been there with golf during some incredibly joyous moments, like we discussed with the 1986 Masters. But golf has been an outlet for you for some incredibly somber moments as well. What are the main lessons the game of golf can teach us if we play pay close enough attention? Well, I think the game the game is a a game that you you, you get out of it what you put into it, and you get uh, uh, you know you, you get you develop relationships with people. I think you play eighteen holes of golf with somebody, you get to know them pretty well. You're exactly uh, right. Yeah, you you know what, what kind of a sport they are. You know what kind of a personality they got. You know whether they're a hothead or or whether they they'll, they'll enjoy the game for the game, or they're or they're or they're just they're driven by total competition, or they're driven for greed, or whatever they're driven by. And you find that out pretty quickly on the golf course. So it's a it's a great game for that. It's a great game for for people. It's a great game for 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 a father to play with a son. It's a great game for a grandfather to play with his grandson or granddaughter. And you know, it can be played by all walks of life and people of all handicaps and all abilities. It's, it's just a marvelous game, and it's, uh, there's not many games like that. Uh, so uh, to, be, to be fortunate enough to be involved in that game all my life has been a very, very special thing for me. And, it's, uh, uh, you, know, it's, it, and you meet the same people on the way down that you meet on the way, way up, Brian. You, you know that. And uh, so you better, you better watch your P's and Q's on the way up because you're going to have to eat it. Either you're going to have to eat them on the way down if you haven't handled it right. Well, it's great, great advice, and uh, it's such an honor to speak with you. You've always conducted yourself in such a wonderful manner on and off the course, and I really wish you the best in all of your endeavors moving forward. Thank you, Brian. Nice to talk with you. Good to talk to you too. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. We live in an age where everything is on the record. What we say anywhere, whether it's in an elevator, in an email, or during a conversation with a reporter, is now being broadcast instantaneously on YouTube, in a blog, or through the mass media. It's easier than ever to spot someone who has been traditionally media trained and is just giving you that same old boring PR speak. I want to help you navigate the tricky media landscape. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form Evergreen Media Training. Evergreen Media Training assists individuals and groups by offering unique preparation and training catered to your specific needs. From explaining today's media environment to providing you with post-training, monitoring, and feedback, we'll guide you every step of the way. With nearly 40 years of combined experience working with some of the biggest names in the sports industry, we'll help you communicate your messages honestly, thoughtfully, and from the heart. For an overview and a list of services, visit evergreenmediatraining.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Major League Baseball is averaging 29,210 fans per game through this week. That's off 6.8% from the same period a year ago. 
excluding the Yankees and the Mets, who are in new ballparks with smaller capacities, 10 clubs are seeing double-digit declines in average attendance, led by Bobby's Tigers and the Nationals, who are both down close to 27% from a year ago. The Phillies and Red Sox are the only teams filling their venues to 100% capacity. Four clubs, the Rangers, Royals, Rays, and Marlins, are seeing double-digit increases at the gate. Nathan, again, a memo went out before the year. Bad economy. Ticket sales could be down. Some teams, like we said, Detroit and uh, the Nationals, in new venues, by the way, down 27%. That's worse than expected. Oh, absolutely. And I would say that you hope that your team does well so that people come to the games. What we saw that wasn't the case last year. So, you know, you never know. You need a strong following like the Red Sox have, like the Cubs have, like the Yankees have. That's going to keep people in those seats. It is good to see the Rays up because, like you were saying, even though they were winning last year, people weren't coming to the park. They are one of the four teams that is up this year. So it seems like people in Tampa have embraced the team a little bit more that got to the World Series. Uh, The Royals were off to a good start. The Rangers, I look for them to dip because in the dog days of summer when it's 115 degrees in Arlington, I don't think people are going to be coming out to watch a lot of baseball. That's one of their problems. Yeah, I don't know if there's that many diehard Rangers fans out there. So we will keep our eyes on the Major League Baseball attendance numbers for you throughout the season. All right. Thank yous in retrospect to Mark Steinberg, the VP of Golf for IMG, Jack Nicholas, the Golden Bear. What a great interview with him. Our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, Moose Tracks Ice Cream. Go to moosetracks.com and click on the store locator. Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Morton's The Steakhouse and Evergreen Media Training. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com and click on the podcast page. We're on iTunes, one of the top business news podcasts. Check us out there. We have a Facebook page, and we are tweeting. Go to our blog at sportsbusinessradio.com. You can connect to both of those links there. I'm Brian Berger. Have a fantastic week. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to my father in Phoenix, and we'll talk to you next weekend right here on Sports business radio greg odin of the portland trailblazers supports the ronald mcdonald houses i'm a big fan of the houses happy to help them make a difference he helps because he believes every hospitalized child should be near their family in tough times and everyone can support this home away from home when you purchase a mccafe espresso drink or premium roast coffee mcdonald's donates a portion of proceeds to ronald mcdonald house charities in oregon and southwest washington at participating mcdonald's for a limited time a little change can make a big difference Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000. The year before you bought the Mavericks, they were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. <laughs> <laughs> 
Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at SportsBusinessRadio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday <laughs> or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. 